Hello and welcome to the Remo Health Rhythms Podcast. This is your host, Frank Thompson. On this podcast, we explore and get into the power of rhythm as a tool for change within the concepts of healthy relationships, community, and career. On this podcast, you'll discover experienced health rhythms facilitators. You'll hear their story via a long-form, free-flowing conversational interview. And as we get into the interview, we uncover and discover their relationships, and we learn how they've integrated health rhythms uniquely into their life's work, and how health rhythms has benefited them as a person, in their community, and in their world. So come on in and learn about the world of the Health Rhythms Facilitator. Annie, thanks for being available to uh, chat with us about health rhythms. Absolutely. And you are in that cold state of Minnesota. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, we have a wind chill of 20 below today. We're really getting ready for that Super Bowl. <laughs> okay. Well, and we have a, a a hot warmer of, you know, 120, so we can relate from the other direction. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, we're going to chat it up about, about health rhythms. And, and you're a professor at Augsburg, right? Yes, Augsburg University. All right, and a music therapy PhD, am I correct on that? Yes. How does health rhythms fall into your life? How did you even hear about it or get involved with health rhythms? Yeah, so um, I first heard about it when I was um, a practicing music therapist clinically. Um, I had, you know, been practicing music therapy for, oh, I would say, you know, maybe about five or so years, and um, I was really interested in learning more about using drumming in my clinical practice, and drumming had not really been a part of my training as a music therapist, and it was really a skill set that I wanted to develop, and I had gone to some kind of individual workshops. Um, and I just didn't feel like it was giving me what I needed to bring to bring it into clinical practice. Um, I'd gone to some African drumming workshops. Um, I wasn't I wasn't getting the 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 application piece as much as I had hoped. And so I heard about health rhythms. I actually applied for uh, some funding and got a scholarship uh, through AMTA to come mm. and do the health rhythms training. Okay. And was very excited. I actually got to come to Arizona where I did my first training. We might have been and, at the same uh, workshop. We were, Frank. Yes. We were there okay. many, many moons ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just remember uh, my my own excitement to really be excited to kind of immerse myself in um, in some group drumming and then to really learn how to – um, bring this into, you know, a more uh, group experience, into a more clinical experience, and to bring my skills, the skills I already had as a music therapist, okay. but then bring um, what health rhythms had to offer and then bring bring that together. So that's Annie, really kind of what brought me to it. Thanks. Is it pretty, is your experience pretty typical about when you were coming through, the time you were coming through as a music therapist? That drumming really wasn't a part of it, um, or what? Yes, you know, I would okay. say that was pretty pretty consistent. Um, that um, at that time when I was doing my training, that the drumming wasn't a part of it. We had what was really um, 
you know, consistent within, I think, many of the curriculums is we were taking, you know, all the, um, we had to take all the instrumental courses. So a brass yeah. course, a percussion. I mean, we took a percussion course, but it didn't, it wasn't, it was, you know, playing a snare drum and learning the timpani. It wasn't hand drumming. And, you know, when I think about what I need as a music therapist, Mm-hmm. Um, is really different than, you know, working with a band and working with more of those kind of classroom instruments that we were being taught on. Hi, everybody. Teresa Evans here from West Music, and I have a deal for you today on the Remo Travel Percussion Pack. When you go to westmusic.com, you can type in the number 203-603, or you can use our search engine and type in the words Remo Travel Percussion Pack in the search engine. When it comes up, load that awesome package into your cart. In the cart, apply this promo code, TRAVEL17. Again, TRAVEL17. That is T-R-A-V-E-L-1-7 in your cart, and that will give you a 5% discount on that package. And I love that package. I love that bag. I love that Bahia buffalo drum inside that pack you will not be disappointed with that purchase again westmusic.com five percent discount travel 17. and so i was really looking for something very different than i've gotten in my training but it was really quite standard at the time that these instrumental courses were a part of the curriculum um, they were courses that music educators were also taking, and so we as music therapists were, they were part of our curriculum too. Um, but as I look back, you know, mm-hmm. some of those I didn't feel like were serving me as well as, for example, um, learning, um, you know, on more hand percussion and, and on hand drums. Okay. And that, and that skill set, much readily applicable, because you mentioned applied, as a clinician? using hand drumming with the groups and yes. the patients you had. Okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. And once I got my hands on that, it was, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that I used very, very consistently within my clinical practice. Outstanding. Well, now, have you been a musician all of your life? What's the, what is the Annie Heiderscheidt story? Did you, did you come out singing out of the womb, or did you... <laughs> Um, you know, I don't remember singing that. What my earliest memories are, I remember singing when I was very young. Okay. Um, and singing was always a part of it. I started taking piano lessons when I was six. Um, but I started singing. That's my earliest memory of making music is singing. Ah, um, started piano early. Then I, um, uh, started saxophone in um, late elementary school um, I've always been very involved in um, whether it was concert band, jazz band, swing choir, any choir um, I could be involved in. And, um, yeah, m- music has just been very much a part of my life um, and love being a musician, love, doing, love making music. How did you migrate from being a performing musician to being a serving musician with music therapists? Does that question make sense? Because there's right absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I had not heard of music therapy until I was actually at college. Um, I grew up in rural Iowa on a farm, and okay. so what I knew as opportunities for musicians was either you were a teacher or you were a performer. 
And so I headed off to college thinking I, I will become a music teacher. Um, when I got to college, I happened to be at a college that had a music therapy program, and I heard people using this term, music therapy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I didn't know what that meant. I knew what those two words meant individually. Right. <laughs> I didn't know what they meant when you put them together. And so I went on a fact-finding mission to find out what what is this what is this music therapy. Yeah. And I sat down with the director of the program at the time, and she described it to me. And I said, "That's that is what I've been placed on this earth to do, is to be a music therapist." You knew it then um, in, in college. I, yeah, the moment she described it, there was something within me that clicked. Hi, this is Brock Carricker. As president of REMO, I'm extremely proud of the work Health Rhythms facilitators are doing with the program around the world. We're very fortunate that we get to hear on a daily basis of the positive effects music making is having on people's lives. Please know that as facilitators, you do make a difference. I've always loved people, loved working with people, and I love music and I love um, all of what music can do. Now, I still did get my music education degree along with my music therapy degree. I did my student teaching. Okay. um, But I can tell, for me, um, I felt limited in my role in, um, in music education. Um, I wanted I, what I love about being a music therapist is I'm not limited in how I can use music, and I felt more limited okay. in in the classroom. Um, you know, to to be able to use music to get to the depths of people's emotions. Um, okay. You know, I just love the depth of what music can do for us, and so. Um, while I still have my music education degree, I have mm-hmm. always practiced as a music therapist and um, absolutely love that. And, and if I had to ask you, what is your instrument? What is your Yeah, instrument? my primary instrument is voice. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up, I was in a choir head practice, too coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in choir, I mean, in clinical practice, I use, mm-hmm. you know, guitar, I use my Native American flutes, piano. Um, I'm working on accordion right now and Ooh. play a little mandolin, mm-hmm. um, still play my saxophone a little bit, um, and, of course, you know, use a lot of drumming in, in the work that I do as well. So let me see if I've got this right. You grew up on a farm in Iowa. Yep. And you're making music everywhere that they possibly can in your community. What, what part of Iowa? That's a big state. Yes, way up in the northeastern corner Mm-hmm. So really close to the Minnesota border, close to the Wisconsin border, just about 12 miles from the Mississippi River. Okay. Um, the beautiful, bluffy part of Iowa, but extremely rural. Okay. Um, the closest, well, I hesitate to call them cities. They would they would be a city to me because I, you know, um, everything around me was a small town. Right. But the largest towns would be like Dubuque or Iowa City, which which were like an hour and a half, two hours away. Okay. So yeah. you're coming up from it's a about rural thirty community. miles southeast of Decorah. Okay, but and so you're used to cold for sure. I am used to cold <laughs> and snow. Okay. <laughs> yes, very much so. You, so so you, you come up of age through school, mm-hmm. um, learning mm-hmm. music, loving music, singing, playing variety of instruments. Go to college, not even yeah. aware of music therapy, knew what the terms right. meant, but yeah. didn't know it as a discipline. You walk yeah. in and say this, is, and you find out through some counseling and coaching, this is for me, and it becomes a yep. lifelong journey. 
Yeah. Now, you with a musical background, um, someone could look and say, well, yeah, health rhythms works for her because she's a musician, she's a teacher. Mm-hmm. I think one of the beauties of health rhythms is that it's for lay people, people with yes. musical training background. Can you just kind of give it, give your thoughts on that a little bit on on uh, and, and maybe a little bit under this context too because I'm really um, I really make sure and I've learned this from music therapists that you know again there's a mm-hmm. distinction between music therapy and health rhythms they're not yes. because only music therapists do music therapy it's a licensed yeah. position but that doesn't mean that others can't do things with music like health rhythms that are not thera- that is therapeutic. Does that make sense? Correct. Okay. Can you talk about that a little bit, react to that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we are, as human beings, Mm -hmm. we are musical beings. And so, you know, I I believe we we all have that music is within us. The rhythm is within us. And so we all have that. And it is part of what what I love about it is that um, health rhythms is approachable. So whether I'm working with a group or whether it's somebody else saying, you know, I'm really interested in this and I would like to be able to do something with this, because we are musical beings, as human beings, it is approachable. And so whatever anybody's skill set, they're going to bring it to that, to the experience of health rhythms. And is that what you mean by approachable? Is that whatever that skill set is, you can bring it and use it? Yes, absolutely. And that to me is what um, can make it very welcoming, make it very usable is, um, you know, I, I, even as a music therapist, could be working with a group who is much more musically advanced than Mm -hmm. another group. I can still use it and it gets tailored to that. Or, Or even if I am a facilitator, that I'm not, I don't have specific musical training, but I have a passion for music. Okay. Um, I can I can do I can do this, and I'm going to bring my own skill set into um, that experience of facilitating health rhythms. Um, so, you know, I I think that you know we bring to it what we each have, and okay. um, I think that's that important part. And you know, we we approach any group that we're doing health rhythms with based on, you know, the needs um, of that group. And we, you know, we make adjustments and we tailor um, the protocol, you know, to to any particular group, um, as well as how do I best work as Mm -hmm. facilitator based on my skill set. You know, as an an educator with – you know, new music therapists. And if, and if your school is like uh, most schools, you have a variety of people coming through the program, right? Young, old, yep. different, diverse backgrounds. Yes. So how, when you talk with um, new music therapist people be getting training, what do you say to them about hand drumming, about facilitation that they need yeah. to learn, that maybe that maybe you didn't learn coming through because it wasn't there, drumming? What do, you, what do you kind of share with them as an educator? Or maybe I should say, what's you know, the most important thing they need to know about this stuff? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think first and foremost is mm-hmm. um, to, to, you know, to let themselves, you know, get comfortable kind of being in it, being, okay. you know, being with the instrument first and foremost. If okay. I'm not comfortable with my instrument, you know, then I'm going to have a hard time bringing that to other people. 
So, um, you know. Now, when you say comfortable, do you mean comfortable in, in knowing it or just comfortable in, I mean, like being a, being proficient at it or, or what do we mean by comfortable? I think comfortable in um, recognizing here's where my skill set is and I can bring it to this instrument. And that, again, our, our, our level of skill can also change over time. Okay. But I often think, you know, I, I can see students go, but I've never done this before, so I'm not, uh, you know, I'm apprehensive and I'm a bit timid and scared and, and you know, being able to just say, this is where I'm at, I'm going to continue to learn and grow, but to be willing to even start, um, to not yeah. let any any fear or apprehension get in the way and stop the process, but to be able to, to say, you know, I may be learning and discovering, um, mm-hmm. and I can still do this. I think that's kind of the beauty and the challenge with people who come from a musically trained background mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get familiar with that. You know, that discomfort you may have with that instrument is similar yes. to what your participants may have with participating with music at all because exactly. they've been damaged or told they can't yes. play or whatever. But what I find yeah. with people who serve like music therapists is that's their gift mm-hmm. is you open it up so that whatever yeah. the ability they can play. Exactly. And, you know, I often tell students when they're, lear- you know, when they're learning a new instrument, right? Mm-hmm. As musicians, we are developing a proficiency on an instrument. Okay. And then we feel skills, and we feel good in that skill. And then when we go about learning a new instrument, all of a sudden we're used to playing music at a certain level, and right. we, 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 we have this kind of idea that because I'm very proficient on this one, I should, I should be equally proficient on this. And when we're starting on something new, that's just not the case. And I think there's great value when we say, oh, now I'm starting something new, and I don't feel as proficient on this, and that's going to take me time to develop that. Because it is what people who have not played something before, they will feel an apprehension. And I think it is important for us to remember um, what it feels like when we are learning something new that we've never done before. Yeah, and I, I have found, too, in working with uh, new music therapists and musicians in general is that keeping the focus on, hey, you know what, it's not the musical proficiency, it is the facilitation yeah. proficiency yes. that you grow on because really the drums are just the tool. And as you said, it's approachable. So I have found that we've yeah. really got to coach and nurture uh, musicians, hey, it's not about the performance, it's about the right. building the community and the connectivity. Has, have you had a similar experience with that or? Yes, because I think I think that we, um, you know, musicians can often get caught up in um, I have to I have to be be able to play all these very complex rhythms. Yeah. Well, you know, I could be jamming out in my right. own little rhythmic world, but if I'm not connecting with the people I'm there to engage within the music, then I'm missing it. And so, right, if we if we are focused on the complexity of the music, then we're missing the people in front of us. And we may not be meeting them where they're at um, in what they're able to do. And so then we're not facilitating. We're, we're missing what it's all about. And so, you know, it is really beginning to look at how do we use um, the skills we have and facilitate, but also looking at what, what musical level is important for this particular group that that we are facilitating with mm-hmm. um, because sometimes we might make it more complex than this group is ready for even even rhythmically we might make it too complex and we can 
always shift and change, but we really have to look at where is a group at and where do we begin. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I we build their confidence. Mm-hmm. So, that you, so that you build it over time. You build it over time. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. when... I'm, I'm kind of feeling as we're talking here, and you know, when I pick up mm-hmm. the phone, I never know what we're going to talk about. And my joy yeah. of this podcast is that it feels like a normal conversation, and we're kind of discovering each other and all those kinds of yeah. things. You know, and even even though we were at a training years ago, I hadn't yeah. remembered you being there until I came out to Minnesota last year, and there we were. I'm like, hey, it's Annie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Hey, but I, I'm kind of feeling um, wanting to drive this conversation a little bit uh, because I don't have that many music therapists, health rhythms trained uh, PhD yeah. people that I speak with. And I'm kind of feeling yeah. like I want to delve a little bit into the into your academic focus and, and clinician focus. Sure. So that if there's young music therapists hearing this, it's like, you know what? Here's a doctorate in music therapy and her perspective mm-hmm. about health rhythms. So when you when you're telling or sharing with uh, your students to get involved with health rhythms, um you say you should maybe you can finish this sentence for me. You should use health rhythms because uh, because it it will um, empower your ability to facilitate um, a group music making experience. Okay. Now, why talk to me about group music making? I was stunned when I got involved with the music therapy world and coming from my yeah. business background. A large yeah. group was anything under 50 people was a small group. Stepping yeah. into the music therapy clinical world, I learned that a group was three people, and large was seven <laughs> or eight. So for me, that was a complete shock. But yeah. what are the benefits of of therapists learning group skill sets that they can apply? Yeah. Do you think there's value to that? Group absolutely. Dynamics? Yeah, talk uh, to me. Yeah, about absolutely. That. And I think learning to facilitate within the music. Okay. Um, is is the real key piece? Is how do I learn to facilitate um, without my words? Okay. Which I think is a very important part because we are a very language based culture. Okay. And when we are using the language, then then the music stops because we're we're you know we're talking over it, and so the music stops. Whereas if we learn that, and I like to think of it as kind of that art of facilitating. Um, we don't need to use our words or we don't need to use very many words. And so we can keep the music going. And it's it's within the experience of the music that um, the amazing things happen. Thank you. If there's someone uh, on the fence of like, you know, I'm a, again, I'm a lay person. I don't have yeah. that musical background. I'm intimidated because I don't know the music. Um, this person has a master's and they're doing it. This person's an educator. What would you say to that person as a as a as a scholar and as a person who celebrates health rhythms? To the person who really doesn't come from a sure. musical background, what would you tell them? Yeah. Well, I would say first of all, I did my health rhythm training I think long before I had a PhD. Okay. Um, and I have I have um, seen people who who don't have a music background who are very successful um, okay. as health rhythms facilitators. Um, again, I think that you know you know being able to honor one's skill set mm-hmm. and and just because someone might be trained as a musician, um, sometimes that that training can get in our way. 
and we have to ensure as musicians we don't let it get in the way. Okay. Um, and so I think that, you know, that there there are those pieces of, you know, when when you aren't specifically trained as a musician, most of the clients that we might work with in a group aren't trained as musicians. Right. And so, um, you know, even as a music therapist, most of the people that I work with are not trained musicians. And mm-hmm. so that sometimes that training I have can feel a bit intimidating to them. And so I think when we approach them as a facilitator and mm-hmm. I don't have I am a musical being and I think it's important that we see ourselves as musical beings okay. and and not downplay our nature that I'm not a trained musician, but I am a musical being and I have a passion for this and a passion for people. And we show that and I think then, you know, people can also recognize we can engage in music without being trained musicians. Music is mm-hmm. not just for those people who are trained in it. It is for all of us because we are musical beings. I, th- I think that's why we're here. I know when I found the music therapy world, it was when I turned around and looked in the mirror and said, you know what, I didn't know it, but I've found my tribe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I've found yeah. the community where music isn't about performance, but it's about celebrating and connecting with all of us in whatever way we possibly yes. can. Yes. And yeah. even as music therapists, uh-huh. We, we don't own the world of music. We coexist in the world of music with all human beings. Um, we use it as uh, we use music as our vocation. Um, mm-hmm. But many people have music as a part of their vocation, um, and that doesn't mean we we all have to have the same or specific training to do that. Um, we have we are required to be a music therapist, have a specific training, mm-hmm. but to live and work in the world of music, um, it isn't just music therapists that linger in that land. We all live there as human beings, and it doesn't require everybody to hold that same training um, or specific training you know, in music therapy, music education, or performance to um, use music in their lives and in with the lives of others as well. So being all being that we're all musical beings, we have different places, different notes on the scale, if you will, that we can all celebrate and get connected yeah. through music. And health rhythms is just yeah. is just one of those. Is what are some of the joys of working with health rhythms that you've experienced? Anything come to mind? Yeah. I you know, I love um I you know I've done I've done it with groups as large as probably 50 or 60 people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to see how how it connects people as well as with smaller groups um I I've enjoyed that piece of it and and to see um how the protocol serves as um a means of kind of bringing people together yeah. um and to see that process um in each each um step in that is a beautiful illustration um, of how, you know, looking at how these pieces work together, um, how they bring and connect people together. Yeah, hey, what do you think makes a good facilitator? Oh, I, you know, I think I think being able to um, really listen. I mean, yeah. really listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a real key, whether that's to what people are saying or what they're doing musically. Mm-hmm. Um, to be reflexive, to be able to respond in the moment, 
Um, I love that phrase in the moment because that's really what they're doing, right? And, yes. And I usually, what do you think of the language of being able to, uh, you know, you, in the moment to me means when they're using their skills as a facilitator to intuit and interpret the group and manage those those dynamics that are happening yes. at that time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that, you know, um, I, it's hard for me to separate out. I mean, you know, we need that listening to be able to be present in that moment mm-hmm. um, and, and to to be able as the facilitator to, you know, um, empower people, to be able to, I as a facilitator, may, I, may, I may just really step back and right. let, and, and let the group really feel their own power um, so that they can own that and and they don't feel you know they can they can maybe feel that we're doing this um, not that she's doing it and we're just along the on the ride with her um, but that they can really own that we as a group are doing that um, you mentioned it to it I think intuition is really key right. in the process as well mm-hmm and, and do you think that intuition is something that can be developed, or is it just something that just ha- some people have it and some people don't? Oh, that's a really good question, Frank. I'm a very – I've always been very intuitive. Uh-huh. Um, so my, my sense is that, that um, I, think, I guess mm-hmm. where, where I really land is I think we all have it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or I like to believe we all have it. Um, I think some of us might be more connected to it than others, but I think the potential for all of us to have it is there. Whether we um, listen and honor that way of um, understanding and listening. I love I love that language. I'm kind of in agreement. I think we all have a sense of intuition, but like yeah. anything else, if you if you pay attention to it, you can strengthen that sense. And you can reinforce yes. it, and then and then improve your ju- your judgments and experiences as your intuition yeah. improves because you're exercising that muscle, right? You know. And yeah. I encourage facilitators trust your intuition because yes. that's your experience. And you know, with young students coming through, you know, open up, be in the moment, and practice your facilitation. And you know what? There's you cannot make a mistake when you're doing when you're offering joy in music. There's just no mistake. Absolutely. At all. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the only mistake is in not trusting it. Yes. And I think sometimes, um, I I know early on for me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having, having, you know, sensing something, you know, trying to figure out what that is. Why am I sensing I should do this? Yeah. And then discovering, oh, that's my intuition. And then, and then really learning to trust it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not going well. I should I should be able to rationalize why I think I should do this, you know, yeah. and and you know over time learning to let that go and just trust that it's my intuition and I don't need to rationalize the answer. I just need to trust what yeah, and, I'm. And you'll what and I'm you'll sensing. find out what works for you with with, mm-hmm. with different mm-hmm. groups. The um yeah. in in the um, world of music theory therapy clinicians, is there a uh-huh. lot of opportunity, as you see it in the future, for health rhythms to, to work in different clinic settings, uh, hospital oh, settings? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's um, there's so much potential. Okay. Um, and as we're seeing the practice of music therapy growing, um, I know that I've um, gone to uh, cancer survivor retreats mm-hmm. and used health rhythms. Um, support groups, I think, are a great place to do health rhythms. Um, I think when we look at, um, you know, for example, um, families 
who will not have family support groups. They're great opportunities because we can do health rhythms intergenerationally um, in long-term care settings and um, community-based settings. There are so many opportunities and I think so much potential that um, we as music therapists and, you know, just have to keep looking for the possibilities because there is so so many possibilities out there mm-hmm. where health rhythms could be utilized. How do you, if if there are um, health rhythms trained people out there who maybe want to partner with a with a music therapist, would you encourage that or or to get in contact to say, you know what, if they have questions, you know, yeah, questions, absolutely, you know? mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's so many community-based opportunities, and, okay. and, you know, a lot of music therapists are working at um, facilities. And so I think if, if health rhythms facilitators are looking for other opportunities, mm-hmm. I think it's always great to connect um, within a community to kind of, you know, look at where might these potential places be. Um, you know, our community is a, is a tremendous means of support, so connecting mm-hmm. with um people who would have connections I think is very, very helpful. Great. Let me see if I can connect the dots in this way. Now again, thinking about when you first entered um the music therapy world as a as a student and you're going to college yeah. and studying, hey, I'm gonna be a teacher or I'm gonna yeah. or, or I'm gonna be uh doing something else with it. And you do and you find music therapy. Yeah. How has the world changed about music therapy and programs mm. like health rhythms because right health rhythms hand drumming kind of from when you started with it to where it is now things have changed much right yeah things have changed a great deal yeah yeah i mean you know when i you know when i was a young professional and realized like i really don't know anything about hand drumming and again i went to some workshops and um a lot of them i mean were were facilitated by very talented percussionists okay um but we were learning, you know, like African rhythms. And, you know, those are complex rhythms, and those are difficult. Um, they don't translate very easily into a clinical setting okay. because um, that level of complexity takes a lot of skill, and that just isn't quite transferable um, when we're talking about clients who maybe don't have that. Then that feels very intimidating. Okay. And so, um, so I was really looking for developing an understanding that was um, approachable for mm-hmm. even non-musicians, clients that I'm working with as non-musicians, um, okay. that, was, that would be easily implemented, um, and that it would help me build my learning in, in using hand percussion and drumming mm-hmm. in a group with people. Because um, it's different, you know, drumming with one client, but mm-hmm. when we have a group and we're facilitating um, a group experience, that is a, a very different experience. And I think that is an important gap that Health Rhythms has has helped to fill, um, as well as the science and research behind it, because that is another key piece that is really important to have. Outstanding. Annie, I thank you for spending time on on this and sharing sharing your perspective. Just a couple more questions, and we'll kind of mosey along. If you were to... um, Turn around and, and and speak to a a person who says, you know what, I'm interested in music therapy. I like hand drumming. I've heard of this health rhythms. What would you say to them? Yeah, I would encourage them to check it out, mm-hmm. to explore it. 
Um, I know that um, was it last last year at the Music Therapy World Congress, yeah. um, I did kind of an introductory session to it. So I think sometimes it, it can be helpful for people to get a little introduction into it or maybe to find somebody who's facilitating. Can I come just be a part of a session you're doing to, yeah. to see what it's about? Um, to better understand it, to talk to people who are doing it, to to get a better sense of, you know, can I make use of this in my own um, practice and training? And the other thing that I would say is that yeah. this training has not just trained me, you know, to do health rhythms. I would okay. say it's it's been also a game changer in other ways that I facilitate, Um you know, other types of whether it's an improvisational session or, you know, other things that I'm doing. So so that that training in health rhythms um, kind of has a ripple effect into other areas of – or it has into other areas of my practice as a music mm-hmm. therapist as well. Okay. Thank you. I love that term, ripple effect, because, that, you know, when I'm talking with students and folks about health rhythms, that, you know, it applies in so many other areas. You know, because Absolutely. it's easy to interpret. To uh, you know, you, you know, maybe you're in a you're in a session at work, or you're in a group discussion at work, and having a sense of timing and rhythm of conversation, body language. You know, and mm-hmm. maybe there's a time to speak. And you're and if you're developing those skills as a facilitator, they apply in so many human dynamic situations. If you're yes. tuned into them, and you can leverage career opportunities. Uh, you know, interpersonal opportunities by being able to engage people at a heart level that you learn through health rhythms um, and facilitating like that. I think uh, for me, that yeah. th- those are game changers as well. Yeah. They are, and and that's the piece that I think oftentimes when people do a training, they may not understand mm-hmm. um, that that they're engaging in something that's going to be a game changer, not just because okay. of I've learned this, but how it's going to impact other parts of their life. Yeah. Annie, thank you for spending time with me on this call and sharing part of you for this podcast with Remo Health Rhythms because we want to celebrate stories. You know, where it's you know it's real life, and and yeah. and people can listen to this conversation. And here's Annie, took health rhythm. I mean, grew up in Iowa, still cold. Yeah, <laughs> migrated yep. to Minnesota, developed a practice. And I love that you call your your your, your world a practice, right? Because we're practitioners. Of, yes. At, with our skill sets and, and creating opportunity through music, and became a scholar, became a PhD. Health rhythms is one of your components, and both as a professional and as an educator, you see the benefits of that program and how it can impact one life, one group, and also your own personal opportunities and how you engage and how things can be a game cha- a game changer because of the skills you learn through health rhythms. Did I hit that okay? You nailed it. All right. Anything else you'd like to comment on about health rhythms? Health rhythms is good because? Oh, it's good because it is a universal way to bring music to people. Annie, thank you so much for sharing with us. Absolutely, Frank. Thank you.